Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Stoke the Wild, where we talk about creative arts and how we are inspired by works of creativity, um, how to uh, hopefully inspire those things in ourselves and in others. And um, we're so excited that you are joining us for another episode. I am one of your hosts, Joy, and with me is your other host, Nick. I'm here. And we're very excited. Uh, this particular episode, we have a very special guest that we actually went to college with and mm -hmm. did some fun mm -hmm. stuff with in college. And now we are reconnecting, which is very cool because yep. internet makes it possible. Thanks, interwebs. Yay. Yep. So, yeah, so we're so excited. Today we have Kimberly Weir. Kim, say hello. Hi, hello. <laughs> Everybody right now at home is like, hi, what's up? How's it going? We just can't hear them. It's true. <laughs> I always respond to podcasts that I listen to. Hi, hi. Oh, wait, you're not talking to me. Not really. <laughs> Sounds like a really personal phone call and it feels good when you're like, yeah, I feel like I'm in the room. Yeah. I'm not in the I'm room. not there. <laughs> <laughs> but we are we are so excited to have you here, Kim. Uh, Kim is a writer and producer from Chicago. Um, you're one of 15 siblings, which is wild and amazing. Wow. I did not know that. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's a life. <laughs> it's a life. <laughs> 15. Wow. That's it's like not all from my parents. Like they're they're spaced out over because um, my parents adopted me and uh, you know quite a few others. So they're spaced wow. out quite a bit, but mm -hmm. fifteen in total. That's that's amazing. Still, that's like that's almost enough to have like two baseball teams or <laughs> uh, like you don't even need to invite anybody else. You guys can play like. <laughs> full court sure. basketball you could play you have the uh, whole thing <laughs> uh you know two teams of volleyball right there plus like backups like <laughs> how many people are on a hockey team oh i can't remember oh okay he was gonna say maybe he could do that too yeah well probably i think five are out on the ice at a time maybe six with a perfect goal. you've got three yeah. whole <laughs> probably enough for two whole hockey teams yeah. that's great <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Well, Kim, um, you're also a community activist and you um, are really passionate about the arts. And, um, you know, you you wrote uh, in some of the information that you sent over to me that when you didn't see roles out there that you would like to play, that you decided to start writing them, which I think is so cool. Um, and some of your most recent work includes um, a feature screenplay called Legacy and that was a semi-finalist in the fade-in screenwriting competition which is super cool yeah that's awesome yeah no, i was pretty stoked about that so yeah. uh, it's the first screenplay i've ever written which is you know a learning process in and of itself mm -hmm. and but you got to do it and i was like what the hey so <laughs> um <laughs> got down wrote it plugged it out uh, showed it around to a few people and they were like this is good you should um try entering it and yeah. So I entered it into, um, I think about four or five contests and um, it's had a really, I'm just, I've been blessed with the feedback. So that's awesome. I'm excited about it. That's super cool. That's so cool. Um, and then you, you also wrote a proof of concept. I'm going to have to ask you what that means in a minute. Um, ah. <laughs> but you wrote a proof of concept for a TV pilot and it's called victory, which is a story. Um, 
kind of surrounding your personal experiences as a foster child, which is really, I think that that's really incredible too. Um, I'm just like really excited to hear about all of this. And you're also working on a document documentary short. Did you finish that yet? Or are you still working on that one? That one has been paused because of all things COVID. So mm, good. Okay. <laughs> as soon as we're able to like, uh, cause it's shot in Bronzeville and it's about the Bronzeville community, but that's wow. really hard to do right now. So um, as soon as things start opening up, we're hoping to, you know, dive back into production. Mm-hmm. Um, right now I've been working on, um, I mean, we can't film because of the COVID madness as well, but uh, working on a horror short, but um, doing the writing aspect of that and um, starting to enter it into festivals and whatnot. So keep them awesome. busy. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, wow. That's, that's awesome. Well, so can I ask you, since this is just really the first uh, idiot question that I have, I don't know what a proof of concept is. Would you mind <laughs> telling me what that is? There's no such thing as an idiot question, especially when it comes to film. Um, so a proof of concept is basically, it's it's in the pudding. It's a proof of your concept. Um, you. That's amazing that you have to go to I know, those lengths. That you have to do it's, that. It's a proof of your concept, oh but you can display that in any way you want to really. It just has to be um, some visual clip that kind of proves your point. And you would take okay. that into a pitch meeting with an executive and be like, this show is a mix of, you know, CSI and friends. And <laughs> that's an intense show. All <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm actually we were on a break. This man is dead. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, um, we, I wrote, uh, the pilot and I knew that I wanted to have something um, visual to show people and get them excited about it and kind of get my foot in the door because um, I mean the thing about the film industry especially when you're starting out is that it's a bit of a circle you kind of need representation to get into the room with some of these you know big execs who make things happen mm-hmm. but for that to happen you need to be noticed <laughs> uh, so that's where like festivals and whatnot come in because that's where a lot of like agents and, and executive people will go looking for new talent so mm-hmm. um i knew that i wouldn't be able to raise enough funds to shoot the entire pilot to go but um wanted to do a proof of concept so i took 15 minutes of the pilot and shot that uh, with a team of people, and uh, we've been taking it around to festivals. That's awesome. That's so cool. I want to ask a little bit about the screenwriting process since you have uh, written um, the screenplay that you said you were a finalist for. Um, you said that this was your very first screenplay, and you got a lot of positive feedback. So, um, so I, I haven't written a screenplay myself, although I, it's a dream to to work on one and to and to write one and i i see things cinematically when i'm drawing and painting or writing my own stories but i haven't worked on a screenplay but i have several screenplays like of some of my favorite movies like buying them online and stuff like that just to read through right i just see the notes and director notes and things like that in there so as you were doing this for the first time what was some of your approach to that um so with the legacy i had a bit of a leg up because i had written the pilot the pilot was the very first like screenplay formatted thing I'd ever written ever. So my approach to writing that was I bought a book, <laughs> how to write a screenplay. And just so that I knew, you know, the, the formatting and whatnot, mm-hmm. there's 
software programs that you can download to help you do all of that. But I mean, they run like uh, they can run upwards to three hundred dollars, and I wasn't mm. I wasn't about to shell that out. Yeah. So I learned how to do the formatting in Word first, first and foremost, and I hammered out you know the pilot. Um, so going into Legacy, I kind of I had all of that settled. I I had the benefit of being able to just being able to primarily focus on uh, doing an outline. So that's something that I would normally do for like a novel that I was writing or, or you know, something sure. of that nature. Right. Um, so I started doing outlines and just kind of getting my characters together and, and really doing a lot of the world building. And I was able to take that outline and then split it into note cards. I don't know if you know about note carding, but it's this really fun process where <laughs> you take all of your bullet points and you write them on colorful note cards and you spread them across your walls and start grouping them into scenes so you can see it all visually oh, and wow. take away things that no longer matter and your whole room becomes a mess, yeah. but you say it's part of the creative process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen um, I've seen examples of that uh, through writers or even artists that I follow. It's basically like a, a word storyboard like yeah. where you're kind of planning all those things out, right, but with your words versus the images all the time, um, which is really cool. And it's cool. exciting. And I've tried to do that a few times and I run out of space in my limited studio office space where I'm like, oh, I've, got, I've got like half a scene here and my wall is already full. <laughs> I'm, I'm really hoping one of these days to be able to afford uh, one of these big software programs because they have that built in. You know, oh, really? They have, yeah. They have a beautiful like storyboarding um, functionality and individual note cards and you can pin them to your document so all you have to do is click and it'll pull the note card up it's beautiful i cry a little bit inside every time i think about it (laughs) (laughs) so with this uh with this screenplay then as you like went through that process what did you find yourself um kind of being drawn to like obviously you have like your story your point your truth that you're trying to communicate but um i know for a lot of writers and and artists you know, there's there's another like driving force behind that, whether it's the mood of the music that's behind or like everything that you're doing, even in that process kind of has a creative element to it because it's it's pushing that story forward. So how mm-hmm. did you how did you set the mood for your writing? How did you um, find little elements of other things in every day kind of threading themselves into what you're writing? I think some of that happens organically. Like I for me, everybody's process is different. But for me. I usually, I have to start with an idea that I like. Something mm-hmm. has to inspire me. No matter what, you know, message I end up uh, threading throughout the piece or other elements eventually come in. For Legacy, um, it literally was, I was just, I was reading a science, you know, article and they were talking about um, the research that they're doing into copying the human brain. Qu- quite literally, they're trying to figure out a way to organically copy the human brain and they're having some success, which was alarming. So, <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking about, oh man, you know, like this technology, like if they ever did get to a point where you can create an organic copy of someone's thoughts and memories and and emotions and everything that makes them who they are up there, like what does that open up for society? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. And that led me to coming up with this world where, okay, so we have this technology and uh, you know, the rich people are abusing it because why not? Because they would. And, yes, they <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and um, and now they're hunting. You know, it, it opens up questions of immortality because if you can copy yourself, then theoretically you can never die. And so we're spinning off from there, and uh, eventually weaved into that narrative. Um, I wanted to explore the I think the idea of imposter syndrome, the fear of not being able to trust. Uh, you know, that a stranger who is who they say they are, or even your best friend is who they say they are. Mm. Um, along with the actual imposter syndrome that like people of color face every day. Um, and so out of all of that, you know, I get a screenplay and we started with a science article. So some of it definitely happens organically and you just go at your storyboard each day and you try and add elements and then you look at it and go, actually, you're just kind of forcing that one in there. So toss <laughs> it away <Yeah. laughs> and something stick. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. That's an incredible concept. That's very trippy sounding, but very cool sounding too. I think I would probably need, if I watched that, I would be like, I gotta watch like Steven Universe now because nothing is real. Nothing <laughs> is real, trust no one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it was a really great, it was a really fun piece to write. Like it mm -hmm. changed so much from the first iteration, uh, from the first draft to the final draft. Um, mm -hmm. And, but I'm happy for that. You know, it was it was necessary. My first feedback was, this is a great concept, but it's all over the place. And mm -hmm. I was like, you're right. So <laughs> I had to then, you know, focus it and really get at the heart of like, okay, you started with all of these ideas. And as a writer, you can be married to, you can fall in love with your idea so much that you are resistant to letting it grow and letting it change and letting mm -hmm. it be, you know, whatever it comes and I had to like let go of some things and, and refine and it was better for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That is really cool. Um wow, that's like already we're talking about so many things. Um I feel like I'm gonna go backwards now for a minute. Um we touched a little bit on like you mentioned that when you were not seeing roles that you would like to play, you decided to start writing them. Um and that makes me want to ask you a little bit about your creative journey, sort of your story about like getting into the creative arts and like when and how that happened? So uh, many years ago, no, uh, it, <laughs> in a galaxy far, far away. Um, I mean, it really does start with the beginning, right? So I grew up in foster care and for me that experience was, um, I mean, it, it just, it, it, it did leave me with a feeling often of being voiceless and constantly having the ground shifting underneath mm. you that was just world and i dealt with that by i dealt with that by you using my imagination i was in my head a lot as a kid and, and um, i really loved to read and that opened up a, a love of storytelling and um you know you get used to the negative narratives that you hear you know mm. every day like i i was used to hearing about how I was used to hearing about my limitations, you know, being a crack baby and, you know, a child of the system. Mm -hmm. But then when you discover that you have a gift um, and suddenly that narrative becomes more positive, um, there's a power in that, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I, for me, reading and, and then writing and then performing uh, became a space where I could, I could become visible in a world where I felt invisible. Uh, so it's a bit of nature and nurture. Um, and that led me to joining, uh, so I was a big theater kid in high school and that led me to, uh, my first year 
first semester, sorry, of um, community college. I went to community college before I went to Moody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so my first semester of college, um, I there was a film club on campus and I joined it and just absolutely fell in love with the art of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. um, less in love with the guys in the film club, but you know, that's a whole other. <laughs> but in love with the art of filmmaking itself. And so by the time, you know, I transferred into Moody in spring semester, um, I knew I wanted to continue doing that. I was still primarily was a writer and knew that I wanted to write. So I was a journalism major and whatnot, but I just couldn't really quell that hunger. So I started looking for opportunities in the city to work on films. And, you know, this is like ugh, dating myself, but like, you know, 11, 12 years ago. Uh, so back then, <laughs> the way to find <laughs> um, crew jobs was primarily through Craigslist. You know, someone would be like, hey, we're filming this on this weekend. Mm -hmm. We need this many PAs, come on out. And yeah. there I am a freshman thinking I'm about to, you know, go off and never be seen again. But I, I wanted to do it. And mm -hmm. I just, you know, like I felt a burning passion. But at the same time, I almost felt guilty about it. Like I was doing something clandestine. Like you know, God might not approve. So I didn't even tell my roommate. I just like left, <laughs> which I don't advise anyone to do. I could have been murdered. But uh, <laughs> I left the campus that day. I went to set and just had a truly phenomenal time. It was these two guys um, who had written this horror script together and it was an anthology or sorry, a metaphor about I don't even remember. I'm not going to pretend like I do, but like, <laughs> it was a metaphor about her pain or something like that. But like the important, like the thing that made an impression upon me was how passionate they were and how just the fact that they had managed to pull people from all corners of the city who are all here to do one thing, which was to tell this man's story. And I just, it was like being a theater kid all over again, except on steroids in the woods. So <laughs> I was just like, I love this. And yeah. I continued to do it for the rest of my time at Moody and um, eventually got to a point where I was producing my, you know, my own work. Wow. That's amazing. Despite being in um, Ad Vivum together, I didn't know that you did that. I didn't know that you went on casting calls and stuff. Well, she just said she kept it secret. I know, but still, you no one can know. No one can know. It was it was a weird time of life for me yeah, because, yeah. like, I mean, and this is it's all part of the creative journey. I um, at that point in my spirituality and in my creative process, it was still I was still very much operating under the impression that it kind of had to be one or the other. Like mm -hmm. Hollywood was a pit of despair that you were never going to go to and still be a Christian. Yeah. And <laughs> why would you even want to go? And you really shouldn't want these things. And you really, you know, I served, you know, I went, you know, and did my practical ministry um, at churches that were still arguing whether or not like acting was a sin. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, like, boy. This, <laughs> desire of mine to like be out making films in the weekends felt a little bit like I was, you know, selling crack. So <laughs> I did very much keep the two worlds separate yeah. until like anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's wild. I mean, gosh, I don't, I didn't do my PCM in a, in a church. Um, but, uh, I feel like we probably, at least with Ed Vivum, we probably traveled to uh, a fair number of churches that 
some were uh, definitely more conservative than others, at least in my memory. Um, I don't know. I remember some being maybe a little bit appalled by our sketches yeah. <laughs> occasionally. I remember a few times getting some strange looks whenever I'd pull out like French or German accents or weird things like that. But uh, uh, you know. I also though remember Kim like uh, you know part of the team just like the vibrancy in life that you brought the team as well, mm-hmm. um, and and just being out there and it was one of those things. Like I could I think looking back I could say that just you know about everybody that everyone had something that they brought to the team, um, but I don't know if everybody was necessarily natural. You know, and you were, were natural. And anytime you were out there, I know that I was like trying not to either break character if I was out there as well, because uh, we would often do funny things or off to the side, just going like, uh, if I don't pay attention, I'm going to, or if I, if I stop paying attention to what is happening right now, because I'm so enthralled, I'm going to miss coming in where I need to come in. Oh yeah. And, um, and it, it was awesome. Awesome yeah. working with you while we were there. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, likewise, like I, my memories of being in Ed Vivum, like with you guys, that was one that was the happiest uh, of my moody memories. I mean, we don't have to get into all that, but like, <laughs> for sure, it was the diamond of my moody experience. Mm. <laughs> I would, yeah. I would agree. Yeah, it was a good time. I feel like we were, yeah, yeah, yep. This is good times. Good not times. even, I'm not even going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. We're going to have fun here tonight. Okay. Um <laughs> So, um so uh you I mean, obviously you mentioned how like film is just another world for you, like that it is just this incredible way of telling a story. Um but how does how does film specifically in storytelling affect you? Obviously, you are a storyteller whether that's written um or or, you know, in film, but what does film do that, like, that makes you love it so much, even though you are a writer? Yeah, um, I think that what attracted me, what really felt, like, magical to me about film as a medium is it, uh, you know, it's all about scope, right? Um, You know, every medium has its limitations. Um, I love the vitality of stage work. Um, you know, there's a, there's almost a breath to the audience mm-hmm. and the way that, you know, they're a part of that experience. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, they're not just voyeurs in that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in film, what happens is that's completely visual experience, right? Mm-hmm. So you can like build a set, you can build a stage in a stage play, but at some point you have to give control over to the audience to fill in the gaps. They have to make the world come alive within their own minds. Whereas in film, you bring them the world. You bring them all the details, you craft every little piece of it. And the characters and whatnot can actually be saying whatever they want to say. And the story could still be telling the audience something different because it's about what they're seeing. It's about what the world actually says. And I think that that's beautiful because I think that's a little truer to how life actually is, right? Like we're Mm. kind of plopped into the middle of it and there's so much going on around us and there's all this stimuli and, you know, people can say what they want to say or or do what they want to do. And you kind of have to make sense of the larger story going on around you by examining all the pieces. Um, And so I think that that, you know, as a storytelling vehicle is just a beautiful imitation of life itself. And 
Um, I feel like that was a really nerdy answer, but I like, love it. it. Just excites yeah, me. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's perfect. And even thinking about that, the things that that, like you said, stimuli, the things that inspire us, or even even push us away maybe from an idea or something else. Like all those little things matter. I think of filmmakers um, who even down to the choice of the color of an outfit, um, mm. you know, represent something or mean yeah. something or even like, uh, cause I'm going to get nerdy here for a minute. So um, <laughs> it's, it's not everybody's favorite film series or even a lot of people don't like this director anymore, but one film that I really enjoy M night Shyamalan's unbreakable, mm. the opening scene when he's on the train Bruce Willis is on the train. The girl's like clothing is in color while everything else is kind of like damp and gray. Like, and there's like that spark of hope before all the tragedy happens. Right. Mm-hmm. And just like the intention of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so like everything that you do as a filmmaker has some sort of intention behind it. It's not, it's usually not random, like a coffee cup in the middle of like, you know, a dragon's fire. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes but there's, mistakes are made. Yeah, but there's usually <laughs> intention. Right. So uh, no, for, for you, for you then, when you are like creating a piece, working on a piece, um, regardless of, I guess, what you're communicating, when you, what, what do you find yourself doing to incorporate that intention? Um, like even in the screenplays that you've developed or the pilot uh, work and the proof of concept that you've done work on, what were some of the things that you did to kind of, uh, showcase your intention with those scenes and visuals? That's a good question because it's something that as a you know young screenwriter, I'm still learning. Um, in fact, that was one of my very first critiques. Um, I got a you know really nice, a, a really decent score on uh, the screenplay when I submitted it for script coverage. And um, you know, that was the one thing that you know my reviewer told me, which was like, you have a really interesting, compelling world here use it <laughs> mm. um you know you you know you, yeah. we need more visuals and so i had to go back and really look at the story and and i assessed it and i was like okay this is very dialogue heavy it's very character driven mm. which i'm fine with i think that i'm a character writer but um at the same time we have to you know we have to follow our critiques so <laughs> um i started slashing dialogue and then i just went back and i sat and looked at my notes about the world and I started asking myself intentionally with each scene, um, okay, so what is a way, what is a line of dialogue that you can get rid of and then show it rather than tell it? Mm, yeah. um, and that kind of, you know, parallels with writing a novel, right? You know, show, mm. don't tell, except it's, it's just happening in a different way. So in a screenplay, you didn't, then you start to think about different visuals that you can introduce. And by doing that, I actually came up with a really cool concept that wouldn't, you know, wasn't even in the film before. Um, so they're, um, you know, as a, uh, a symbol that the resist, there's a symbol that the resistance uh, within uh, the community uses. So the elite people have been harvesting people's bodies so that they can live forever and yada, yada. And, you know, the people on the ground are resisting that the best that they can. And they use um, a, ha- a hand signal um, to kind of communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And that whole concept was not in the original first draft because, you know, I literally just, a character just said, we look out for each other. And, you know, I got rid of that line and thought of a way to show that mm. rather than tell it. Mm. And mm-hmm. um, you just start, you know, for me, like now I, I do that as a, as a practice because I find it helpful. That's really cool. 
that's cool too how it then plays with not just the language of um you know english as we you know at least for us we write in english um yeah. but the language of the world that you've built then has now a visual uh, language as well, not just a verbal language, mm -hmm. just through the way that they communicate in hand signals or, or anything else, which is cool. And I know as a linguist person, that probably makes your eyes light up, Joy. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's like another dialect, like you're you're building a dialect of, of English and um, which is so cool. Um, <laughs> this is really like, yeah. And it's it's weaved throughout the narrative. So like it, it's it's one of those things that like, I, it never would have occurred to me to, you know, do it on my own before. And I'm hoping that with repetition and, you know, um, you know, five years from now, it'll be like instinct rather, mm -hmm. you know, it'll be instinct to show rather than tell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. With, with that in mind, what, if, if, um, if there were any aspiring screenwriters or aspiring like filmmakers or even actors, actresses who would be looking to, pursue this kind of creative endeavor what's one of the biggest things that you've learned that you would maybe share as a piece of advice as someone who you've admitted is still learning but um, having learned as much as you have and having accomplished as much as you have even in this um, period of time like what is something you would share or pass along to somebody else saying hey don't do what I did like try this or here's something I learned that is helpful and um, or here's something to watch out for Oh, good questions. Uh, first and foremost, I would say you got to start. Like I spent a lot of years <laughs> wanting to do it and being like, what, you know, obviously being a film enthusiast and yeah. leaving the theater being like, if I, and I would have, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. all, the, <laughs> all the things, yeah. um, never actually buckling down and, and committing to writing a screenplay. Um, I find when I finally did it, it, I was annoyed at myself at how, I mean, cause it, I won't say it was easy, but I was annoyed at how much I had built it up in my mind. Mm -hmm. Do you know, like yep. it, it's not as hard as you're making it out to be. And the sooner you start, the sooner you can <laughs> yeah. realize yeah. that you have all this work to do and keep at it, you know? Yeah. Um, and that would be number two is that don't, because I, I run into this all the time too. Like I, it, I know I'm a talented writer. Like there's no point in, you know, being like, uh, you know, because hmm. okay, if you don't believe in yourself, who is? Because mm. Hollywood is not out here trying to rah-rah you. So you got to rah-rah yourself. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that being said, there is absolutely no way that you are going to sit down write the next, you know, masterpiece. And here it is, the gift to the world. Like that's not reality. Like mm -hmm. understand that the first screenplay you write is going to be good, but not good enough. And, and that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. it, it is a learning process. Like you can only learn it by jumping in the pool and starting swimming. Mm -hmm. um, so I would advise hooking up with like getting a writing team around you. Like I meet with a group of writers once a week. I mean, now we meet virtually, but <laughs> you know, we meet up once a week. We talk about what we're writing. We hold each other accountable. We, you know, talk shop. If we're having issues with character or outline or whatever it may be. We can get help with that. Make sure it's people you trust because um, it's a like anytime you share your work with other people, it's a risk. Mm. Um, 
sharing your work with an agent is a risk, you know? Um, and that would lead me to my final one, which is always copyright to work. <laughs> yeah. Always mm. copyright to work um, because it is really, really hard to hold on to an idea. And I'm not saying that there are people who are out there trying to steal ideas, but I'm saying copyright your work. So yeah. <laughs> um, that would be my advice. For sure. That's for great. sure. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So I got a couple of fun questions for you as well. Not that those were fun, but like more like fun. I, I can't <laughs> think of anything better than fun. More fun. <laughs> more fun. More, more fun. <laughs> Uh, who is, or maybe I should say like this, top three or five uh, filmmakers, directors, or cinematographers either that you might find are like, yes, these are the ones who I've been inspired by the most. There might be more than that, but like, you know, top three or five that you're like, yeah, I would definitely put them up there as biggest influences. Um, so, ooh, oh, this is a good question. Let me... Okay, so I'll start with um, Young. I was definitely a Disney child by like all, yeah. by any definition, <laughs> but <laughs> Don Bluth animation, um, I always just had a kind of a, a special like feel, like a, affinity for. Mm -hmm. I feel, and maybe this was just my psychosis, but I, I often liken him to dark Disney because he did this wonderful thing of still in, still capturing what it was like to be a child and the wonder and the magic of that mm -hmm. while introducing the darkness of the outside world. Like if you think about um, A Land Before Time, which is, you know, I think what people most know him for, but, yeah. um, you know, that's literally the story of an orphan trying, you know, traversing across, you know, a dangerous landscape to reconnect with his only living family. Mm -hmm. And it's all told with this very dark palette and whatnot. And mm -hmm. um, I, I love that, you know, I, Clearly was a nerd for that, but um, even as a even as a young person, that made an impression upon me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that as a general rule, children can handle a lot more than we give them credit for. And I think they're just a lot more aware of the fact that the world is scary and imperfect, and things don't always that, that sometimes think the world doesn't wait for you to grow up before it asks you to face something incredibly challenging. And so addressing that with children, I think is a wonderful thing because okay. if, if we're not going to prepare them, I don't know who is. So, mm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, another person that I'm really inspired by is Michaela Cole. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, chewing gum or um, her newest uh, one newest work is I may destroy you. Mm. Oh, I've heard of I May Destroy You. I've not heard of Chewing Gum, I, but I'm not familiar with it. Right. So Chewing Gum was kind of like her debut work, um, and that's what she got really famous for. She's a, a British uh, creative, but um, she got really famous for that. And then I May Destroy You is kind of based off of her experiences uh, uh, breaking into the industry and uh, the sexual assault that she faced while doing that. Mm -hmm. um, I just think that, man, she's one of the most funny, bright, just powerful voices I've heard in a long time. And the fact that, you know, she's completely grassroots uh, and she, she made it happen for herself, um, you know, is completely inspiring to me. And um, I also really connect with uh, 
the fact that um, you know she, when she started uh, when she started creating chewing gum, she was coming off of uh, being a Christian, and so chewing gum has a lot of it does explore a lot about um, faith and and disillusionment and whatnot. And you know, at the time when I discovered the series, it that really spoke into my life, and I just appreciated her honesty. Um, and the cleverness and the hilariousness. It's truly hilarious. Mm. I recommend it for anybody. Um, Shonda Rhimes is another big one. I don't know how you escape Shondaland. You just don't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Peter Jackson. I was a big, I'm a huge sci-fi fantasy nerd fan. Mm. Um, you know, I was a huge Harry Potter fan growing up. Uh, but it was really the... Uh, Film-wise, I would say that uh, what Peter Jackson did with the Lord of the Rings franchise is incredible. I own every DVD. Like, I own the entire like extended DVD box set, spent way too much money on it. I know almost all of the 700 hours of extra footage by heart. Like it's... <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's miraculous. I love it. Um, and then I think that like you have to throw Spike Lee in there. You have to throw Steven Spielberg. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ava DuVernay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Those would be, that was probably way more than five, but That's those okay. would be. <laughs> That's okay. That's an amazing, uh, amazing creators with amazing bodies of work. Um, that even if we don't know all of them, like, yeah. um, I remember seeing an ad, why I may destroy you stuck out. I saw an ad, uh, on HBO for that. Cause it's streaming on HBO. Um, yeah. And I saw it before another show I was watching, and I can't remember what now. Well, Watchmen. We're we're just oh, yeah. watching Watchmen, and yeah. it was an ad before that. Um, so even if you're not like familiar with all of the work, like they're they're amazing, either writers or directors, uh, creators with amazing bodies of work that mm-hmm. definitely should be checked out. Um, so then, this might fall under the same kind of parameters, um, or from some of the same creators that you just mentioned. But what would be your top three, top five favorite films or TV shows that have inspired you specifically, like the series or the stories from those movies or shows? Ah, okay. Well, Chewing Gum has already been mentioned. <laughs> uh, Queen Sugar is phenomenal. Um, the Lord of the Rings series uh, was, you know, huge for me growing up. I think that. As far as things that really have really inspired my personal work, I would start with Lord of the Rings. Like, mm, okay. I mean, I, I love fantasy. I love sci-fi. I love being able to build a world and bring people to it. And mm. I think that that's such, a, such an interesting and evocative way of yeah. uh, sharing truth with people in a way that they may, they're, they're going to be more receptive to than they might otherwise be. Sure, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, and I also see a like, huge opportunity for it because, I mean, there's not a lot of us out there. I mean, I don't know how many dark elves you got to see <laughs> to realize that, like, oh, um, these worlds are, are are lacking in melanin. And that, to me, that mm. that's such a shame because um, Black history and, and African history is so full of rich elements. Like, yeah. I, well, I have a whole playground to play with, so mm. that makes me happy. Um and then I want to say, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a show called Parenthood. Yeah. 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 Parenthood rocked me. And I will say that it mm-hmm. was 
a catalyst for me deciding to actually sit down and write Victory because I absolutely loved that show. I cried so many times during it. Mm. Uh, and then off of the back of that show, I started getting into, you know, This Is Us when it sprang up and okay. liked yep. the show, but I just kept feeling like the experience, the specific experience of being a, a black child raised in a white white family with a white community was something that I wanted to speak to. And there were so many things like, it was just very apparent to me that Randall as a character was written primarily by white people for white people. And there's nothing fine, there's nothing on paper wrong with that. Clearly it's a beautiful show and it, it you know, and it, and it brings up some really, you know, big issues. So I appreciate that, but um, it just, I was aware that there was a, there was a perspective missing and I, and I wanted to fill that. So I am grateful to both of those shows for, mm -hmm. for that. So yeah, I would, I would list, I would say those. Mm. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, finally, I think, um, you know, as creative people, whether, uh, you guys listening out there, uh, in the creative work that you do, um, or even just, you know, us as we're talking to you, Kim, like as a creative person, how do you believe we can use creativity, um, to speak truth, to bring, whether it's our truth, uh, the things that we've experienced, our own personal stories, um, to bring them to life or even, um, just as we see the world in chaos or pain or suffering or hope and wonder, how can we use our creativity uh, to bring that truth into existence? I think that I would, what I would encourage people to do is to just be vulnerable. Like, it, I mean, that sounds so hokey, but that it's the honest to God truth. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. you, if you're, holding back anything for politeness sake or for you know you don't want to make waves or you don't want to risk alienating this group or this person here I, I i understand that there's situations where we all have to do that i mean we all have to live in the world and go to work in the morning but like mm -hmm. <laughs> um, when it comes to your art free yourself to be vulnerable free yourself to ask yourself the ugly questions and give an honest answer Free yourself to be judged, free yourself to be to be open, because that's the only I mean, that, that's what truth is. You know, we can I think people respond far more to genuine our genuine selves than to lectures or or statement pieces or, or anything of that nature. Not that those don't have their place, but um, specifically it, when it kind of comes to you know my journey with spirituality like I went through many phases but we'll, we'll sum it up you know so I went through this like hyper Christian phase at Moody where I was very much trying to fit into one bubble of Christianity and mold myself into what I thought it meant to be a Christian by any means necessary even at the extent of my own you know passions and gifts and, and anything else and eventually that reached a point where I just couldn't do it. Not only because I internally, I, I did not want to, like there was a part of me that was always resistant to that kind of molding. Um, I couldn't quiet the questions. I couldn't quiet the voices. I couldn't close 
close my eyes to what was going on in the world around me hmm. or the things that didn't make sense or yeah. the, the wounds that, you know, were inflicted upon me by other Christians. And um, I had to step away from that and kind of get my head um, on straight. So I then went through a phase of, you know, disillusionment and anger and, and bitterness and this, I'm just going to throw myself into, you know, the life that I want and, you know, screw this mess <laughs> and um, didn't find happiness there either. And by happiness, I mean, I just didn't find surety. Um, but what I did find were, were people who were not afraid of being indecisive, who weren't afraid to say, I don't know, <laughs> who weren't afraid to say, I don't have the answers or I never thought about it that way. Or hmm, you're right. You know, like it, there was just a, lot more openness and a willingness to be vulnerable and wounded together mm. and to create a family of people who just kind of understood that we were all just people mm. muddling through and we didn't have to understand each other and there was a beauty in that and even as I kind of circled back around to like being comfortable within my faith and deciding what I believed and why I believed it um I, I hung on to that because I, I honestly feel like in any walk of life, like that's the way that we need to approach it. We just need to be willing to be vulnerable with each other and to say, to speak truth, even if it reflect, reflects badly upon ourselves or opens us up to hard questions and hard things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree. The I feel like for me in my creative journey as well, there was a, there was a freedom in just saying, you know what, I it's not my intention to be divisive or to push people away who maybe I would have drawn close before. But at this point it's like, I'm not going to be silent either on these issues that are happening in the world or, um, just in the way that I'm processing my own pain, my own trauma, my own, mm. uh, issues. And I've found both, like you said, that personal freedom, but then also like the freedom of like acceptance from people who, um, uh, maybe either didn't know that um, or acceptance even from people who were in that circle who didn't know that about me who have then been like, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm glad you shared that because I also have been dealing with this. And mm -hmm. like those connections that you make with people when you start being honest with yourself, like usually mean more and connect on a deeper level than a lot of the superficial stuff we've been taught to respond yeah. to. And um, I, I, yeah, I just find what you said to be very, very personal and real for, for me. Like if, yeah. if, if it means nothing to anybody else, what you said <laughs> means a lot to me. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I think that, you know, something that you spoke to is just this like incredible aversion to expressing pain within the Christian community that like, you know, you're, that it's inappropriate almost that like it needs to be covered over or it needs to look a certain way or sound a certain way. Um, it needs to have certain qualifiers attached to it. And that doesn't work for pain. It doesn't work for grief. And so finding people who are able to be vulnerable with you, who are able to say like, I'll express your pain and express who you are. Um, and like, we don't have to answer it and that it's okay for it to simply exist um, and for your experiences to be what they are. I think, yeah, I 
totally agree that is a an incredible um and beautiful thing yeah yeah it's it's true it's true what you know what you, what you said nick about um those relationships ultimately being deeper and more intimate um i mean i have i'll be the first to tell anybody i have this severe intimacy intimacy issues um <laughs> so i i just one of the things that just blew my mind like post moody and you know post you know bible college experience was that I didn't really start making deep connections with people until after I was out of the Christian community. Mm -hmm. And like, that's so, so sad to me. Like our differences in beliefs aside, because like, do I share the same beliefs of everybody that I'm friends with and work with now? Uh, God, no, <laughs> God, no, <laughs> but like, <laughs> um, but we're real with each other and they're, they're not putting on, you know, a front. They are who they are and I can appreciate that and they appreciate me for who I am. And, you know, like you said, Joy, they can accept pain. Like I still remember trying to share, uh, it was my junior year and trying to share the, just the incredible pain that I was in during that time hmm. with one of my friends who will remain nameless, but, I remember this girl almost fleeing the room after, <laughs> like literally just be, being confronted with my doubt and my fear and my anger and my, and everything that was just like burbling inside me at, at that time, she just fled. And that I, I honestly, like, I honestly think it, it's one of the things that it was like the first nail in the, in the coffin a little bit, you know, mm. just like, Ooh, I, I don't think I can stay here. And and I can't, I don't think I can do this. Um, and that's such a shame because I think that, um, I think that that's what binds us together as human beings. You know, that's what we all want. I think that that's what, um, what God really wants for all of us is an ability to recognize each other's brokenness mm -hmm. without judgment, you know, and yeah. Yeah. that, I think we get hung up a lot of times on rules and laws and passing mm -hmm. judgment. Yeah. It's not our place, you know, like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that genuine connection with another person does far more work than any Bible verse we can throw at them. Um, mm -hmm. please, I'm not saying don't use your Bibles. Don't mistake <laughs> me. Just say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But that, like, even that, what you're describing makes me think of filmmaking, right? Because, like, to be able to look pain in the face, like, that's what we can do when, and, and we get a glimpse of vulnerability. Um, if, it's a, if it's a really good film, you get to see all of those things on display. And it's, I think it's why we're drawn to it so much. And like you guys were talking before about um, color palettes and music and, um, you know, what can I see versus what can I say? Um, those are incredible aspects of film that like, that's some of my favorite things about like movies or shows or, or, or anything film related is um, just visually um, how captivating it can be. Um, like even 
I even think about like color schemes, like certain scenes will have like a, I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know what it, what it is really, but it's like a, like the colors are cooler mm. in some, in some scenes or colors are warmer in another scene or there's um, like a filter basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like things like that, like yeah. I, I love seeing that in film because it sets a tone for like for what you're seeing and it lets you know what's coming. Um, it completely can change the narrative. It's it's fa- it's absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. Have you ever? Okay, well, for, if you haven't seen it, it, it's not for when young children are at home. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so with a grain of salt. Um, but are you familiar with the uh, show? It's on Netflix right now, Hannibal. Yes, I know it's there, but I haven't watched it because I'm a okay. I'm a big I'm scared. So Joy Joy's not a. Um, I'm a scaredy scared all the time. <laughs> For good reason, Joy is not an intense show watcher. Um, if there's a lot of intensity to it, I've seen an episode or two. I'm more familiar with the original Hannibal films, you know, Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon and, and all that stuff. Um, but I was I was really interested. Again, have only seen like an episode or two because uh, uh, Mads Milkinson, you know, if I'm pronouncing that right, is plays Hannibal, and he's yeah. he's a great actor. Yeah, no, he's absolutely phenomenal. And you know, I I am a big believer in not comparing people's performances because every actor is bringing something different. Sure. You know, and what Anthony Hopkins did with you know Hannibal is much different than you know what Mads does. But they're both just so brilliant. Um, mm-hmm. What I really love about the show Hannibal, honestly, like if I if I had to write a list of like things, if you're going to be a cinematographer that you should be watching, Hannibal is like at the top because what they do with that show in terms of visual storytelling is, I mean, it's a feast for the senses without getting corny, you know, mm-hmm. but it's <laughs> literally a feast. That's awesome. <laughs> with fava beans. <laughs> It's phenomenal. I mean, the subject matter is dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think they filmed the whole thing with three flashlights. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a very dark palette. Like, mm-hmm. I, I almost, it defies, you know, the conventional rules. Because, you know, the, the basic rule of lighting a film is if people can't see, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> but they have this really dark, sumptuous, like, uh, color palette that is, they keep it throughout the entire show and it's just mm-hmm. so I could go on about it for ages, but yeah. if you're interested, I would definitely suggest it. But if you have like sensitivities to intensity and gore, I, I won't lie to you. It's, it's be careful. Love yourself first. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, well, so that being said, I, I may not, I might not watch it. Um, you, you can read the Wikipedia entry. Yeah, I can. <laughs> To be up I can it. like it, you know look at a still from IMDb. <laughs> I can do that. Um, yeah, that would be fine. Yeah, but uh, I well I was thinking um, I don't know if you've watched um, the series Watchmen or not. Um, yes. Yeah. So I noticed it a lot in that in that series um where like depending the color palette, you mean? Yeah, yeah like depending on the episode things with lighting would be different color palettes would be different um it was really interesting how it would like run throughout that whole i just thought that was so cool yeah um 
oh man, I don't know. I, I think those things, and those are the things that I'm drawn to when I'm watching something. I'm like, oh, those colors. Oh, that's different. Um, yeah. Or oh, those sounds. Um, you know, like if if there's a theme that is reworked and used throughout, like, yeah, an entire episode or like a, a callback to another experience. And I love that. If, you know, however long it's been in the show, if, if there, if something is going to happen that, uh, you know, is going to springboard off of something that happened five, six episodes ago, I don't care how long ago it was. And I hear a variation of the same theme. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this thing is going to relate back to that other thing. Um, I, yeah. I think that's so cool how that can happen. And I always like wonder as specifically though about the color thing. It's like, Oh, Oh man. Um, it's going to be scarier. It's going to be exciting or it's going to be happy or this is, you know, wholesome and joyful, or this is dark and, and like, Oh, what's going to happen. Yeah. Or even to cause like a tonal, a visual tonal contrast, you know, yeah. like where you have a darker background and then a, a stark bright like color at the mm -hmm. forefront or vice versa where everything is bright but then something else is muted or dark mm -hmm. uh, to, to showcase a visual contrast in the scene to draw your eye or attention to that because that's you know uh the next important thing it makes me think of like in early animation as we were talking about earlier yeah. <laughs> where like you could tell what was background and what was going to be active in the scene because it was drawn on a different layer and like it looked yeah. alive and then it would mm -hmm. start you know being interacted with versus the the flat background yeah. I was just thinking that as you were saying it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think all of that is so, so phenomenal. And it, like, again, it makes me wonder how people, like, how they think, oh, yeah, I want everything in this episode or in this scene to be, like, tinted green. Or. That is the magic of pre production, the magic and the hell of pre production. Yeah. Uh, I think that if people under really understood every layer that goes into making a film, they would stop complaining about why filmmakers award themselves so often and make all this money. I mean, the money's <laughs> a little bit ridiculous, but like, <laughs> um, I understand how it happens. Like yeah. you are responsible for making this film a thing. So if it racks in billions of dollars, then you need a percentage of that pie. Mm. And that just makes for a healthy paycheck. Got you. But <laughs> <laughs> um, but the whole process is like the most complicated form of of cooking there ever is, you mm. know? It because someone every element that you just named, someone literally has to sit down and think of it, right? Mm. You know, from sound design, it's a bunch of people you know, sitting in the shop or, or coming to set and collecting sounds from the atmosphere and uh, or creating sounds to, to create a certain emotional effect or trigger a sense memory, you know, like mm -hmm. literally down to that kind of thinking. And they're all doing that in coordination with the director, who's also coordinating with the producers and the studios who are just concerned about their money yeah. and, and all that. But like it is. I mean, it's witchcraft at the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> it all comes together. That's amazing. That is that is so cool. Um, but like all of those things, I think that that's I think that that's at least why I'm drawn to, to like film is like that emotional connection. Anything that I can visually I can see that and 
and it's it's looking the human experience in the face and just going like yeah that's you know what i feel that and i understand that so um that is all very very cool um i think that brings us to our what we're going to do today i think so segment yeah so during what we're going to do today we will talk about the things we're doing today but first a theme song That was a great, like, return. All right. All right. I was channeling, I was channeling my inner Linda Belcher. Oh, yeah. That did, did totally sound like Linda Belcher now that you mention it. All right. All right. So, yeah. It, it's wine o'clock. <laughs> so, I have not had any wine, but, um, nor do I drink it. But anyway, it is time to talk about what we're doing today and what we're, what projects we're working on. That's what we take this time to just kind of explore a little bit and update our listeners on like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is a thing that we're working on. And um, we also use this time to remind our listeners that they can write into us and tell us what they're working on. Make sure that you guys update us on, on all the cool stuff that you have going on in your projects as well. Um, so... Nick. Yes. What are you what are you doing today? What do you have going on? Well, um, as many people know, uh this past week my book that I've finished, raised funds on Kickstarter for, just went to print. Um, so it's in production now and as long as there's no delays, obviously for those of you who live under rocks, uh the United States Postal Service has been a big forefront of information as of late um so as long as we don't have a terrible delay with shipping information uh coming soon we're still on time for september mm-hmm. uh to release the book um but it's in it's going to print and production for that and uh i'll be able to notify you guys when that's coming but also there's a potential project that has been brought before me that i'm really excited about that hopefully um will be starting soon but i can't say anything else about it right now <laughs> so that's all you get that's all you get sorry <laughs> that, that's all you get <laughs> that's great kim um you are welcome to share as much or as little as you're able to share with some of the stuff that you've got going on um with with us as well oh no absolutely so first and foremost um victory um so we did shoot our proof of concept and we have entered it into several festivals. Um, I'm really excited that we were selected for Chicago on screen. Um, that will no longer be taking place in the park. <laughs> um, <laughs> Dang it. That will now be online. But as soon as uh, they start putting that program together and, you know, releasing uh, how they're going to do it, I'll be sharing that on our website for the film, which is, or for the series, uh, which is victoryseries.com. And um, there's a couple of other festivals that I don't think I can announce those yet though. So, mm. but they'll be coming to the website as well. Awesome. And I just finished writing the uh, screenplay for a uh, short film uh, called Maya and the Wolf, which I will be workshopping with some actors pretty soon. And 
really excited about that. So that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Cool. Fun, yeah. Oh man! Now was the um, the Chicago? You said it was the Chicago Open. Oh uh, yeah, it's called Chicago on Screen. Chicago on Screen. Sorry, uh, Chicago on Screen. Was that the one that I recently saw you post about on Facebook? Uh no. So that was um. There's there's so many swimming through my head. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> so that one was a different festival, which I can't remember at this moment. I'm so sorry. No, no, no. Yes, Rhode Island. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to piss somebody off. I know it. Um, so <laughs> Rhode Island International Film Festival. It, we uh, semi-finalist for that, which was a really big deal just because um, they are um, Academy and BAFTA and uh, Canadian Screen Award qualifying, which means that if you place, then some really big people see your work, which is which is awesome. Yeah. So, That's cool. Wow. Um, yeah, no, that was that was hugely exciting. And there's another big one, but I, I can't officially announce it until the tenth. So mum's the word on okay. that. But like, okay. Um, well, I figured because you had made a post about that other one, yeah, and I, I wasn't sure that if if you yeah. could tell it, you could tell it. Um, but yeah, I, I saw That's that, cool. and again, I couldn't remember at the time, just a moment ago, uh, what it was. You said Rhode Island, but that is really exciting, cool, cool stuff. Yeah. And we'll make sure that we have victoryseries.com. Yes. We'll have that listed in our uh, liner notes, you know, in the, the bottom of the, the podcast stuff. So you feel free to check that out, everybody. So that way you can see what Kim has been doing and also check out the, the website and everything else. And also stay up to date on the other work that she's got going on. Yeah. Is there anything else that you have happening? Uh, that's Victory with a K, by the way, just because I had to be special. So <laughs> Victory with a K. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I have, um, an opportunity coming up to, like I, I mentioned, we're doing, um, uh, a short horror film, which we're hoping to, uh, film. We were hoping to film in the fall, but we'll see how things go with, uh, coronavirus. But, mm -hmm. um, I also have an opportunity on the table to, work on a show at showtime out in new york uh for whoa that's awesome i know i'm excited about it i mean it's not set in stone yet so we'll see because these things can change and yeah. who knows if they're even going to be able to go through with filming mm. uh, but yeah no options look good i'm excited about it it would be on a really big set and um you can't ask for better experience than that. So yeah, that's that's so cool. That's that's so awesome. We'll definitely be hoping and praying that that works out because that would yeah. be so cool. Oh man, <laughs> me too. I'm I'm almost freaking out about it a little bit in the sense that I'm like, I don't know how to move right now in Corona Land. Mm. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know how that that looks. Like it was bad enough just like moving apartments in Chicago, yeah. like, right? Figuring out. I, I'm going to save that headache for another day. <laughs> I don't blame you. Yeah. That's really Understandable. cool. Though. Yeah. That's so cool. That's amazing. Enjoy. What have you got going on? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> All right. All right. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I gosh, I have like the same thing that I've been working on for so long because I underestimated how much work it was going to be. <laughs> And that's just still working on the launch for uh, for the new podcast. Still cranking all that stuff out. 
which uh, Kim features as a guest on. Yes, she does. Yes, I'm excited for that. Like, you you have this. Like, this is your time, your moment. Not to sound like a guru, but <laughs> I'm so excited for you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I am really excited. Um, almost paralyzingly scared, but not quite paralyzed. So, you know, going to move forward. Um, this I would say this is the first project I've ever just done myself on my own. Um, without like being like, hey Nick, do you wanna help me with this thing? And I was a little scared. Um, exactly right. that tone in that timber. Yeah, <laughs> usually. But but also right, it's like I've done nothing for this anyway. No, I'm not saying you haven't done anything. You've helped can me you a guys, lot with can it. Can you guys hear my eyes rolling through the podcast? Oh my gosh. Okay, you have. But my point though is that like as as far as as far as like. The I can't you can't say like the face of the podcast, but I guess the voice of the podcast. <laughs> right, my voice is not in it. Right, so like being the host, being the person who runs it, and being the you know whatever. Yep, you've got full creative control. Exactly, exactly. Um, so that's next Saturday. It's scary. Oh my gosh! It's like what at the time of this recording, it's a week from now. So thank you for that. Yep, you're um, welcome. So <laughs> this is called accountability, everybody. Just in case you needed a real world example right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there are just a few things that I need to like really polish up um, and and finalize. And I am excited. I am also scared. So um, that just needs to take a lot of my time in the next, you know, seven evenings um, when I'm not working my day job. So I'm just going to be trying to crank that out and finish everything up. So. I have a couple more, um, couple more interviews that are coming up soon as well for that one. So I'm I'm excited. That part is really fun. So is editing. Um, it's the actual pushing, like publish and and whatnot. Oh well, I but can that's do that. the scary. That's the scary part. I I can push publish. I feel like I need to do. Don't worry, it. I got you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel like I need to be the one to push the button. Yeah, I do, I do. It's a growing experience for oh, me. Yeah. yeah. Totally. So that's that. That's what I got. Well, as always, everybody, you can go ahead and email us, stokethewild at gmail.com if you want to share a project you're working on with us, even if it's something where you're like, hey, I'm not ready for the world to hear this, but I'd like to share it with you guys just for accountability. That's mm -hmm. what we're here for, as well as you can follow us on social media at stokethewild on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And Kim, where can people find you to follow you as well and to keep track of the work you're going on? I know you mentioned Victory Series, Victory with a K, victoryseries.com. Uh, but are you on social media anywhere where people can follow you and keep track of your work? Um, primarily my Facebook. Um, yeah, I, I do a lot of my promotion through there, so it'll it'll lead people to everything. Cool. Awesome. We'll have that. I don't know what to say, but it's it's under construction. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll have the Facebook link uh, down as well, so you guys can check that out and uh, give Kim a follow and, and mm -hmm. keep track of what she's got going on. Joy. Yeah. Um, well, you can find me on social media at JM Dirtinger. And what about for the new podcast? You can find the new podcast on Instagram at, at 99pod. Um, that's actually the, it's spelled out instead of like the numbers. It's N-I-N-E-T-Y-N-I-N-E -E pod. Very good. That's, that's <laughs> thanks. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. 
And as always, you can find me on Instagram at Nick Dirtinger or on Twitter at Nick Dirtinger uh, to keep track of uh, the artwork and projects I've got going on. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you guys so much for listening. We appreciate it. Thank you, Kim, for being here uh, as a wonderful guest and sharing your heart and insight into uh, filmmaking, screenwriting, and just your creative journey. We appreciate it. Thank you for giving us your time for this episode. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll catch you guys next week. All right. Bye.